Welcome into another edition of the Commitment Issues Podcast. We've got a new format, all three of us on the phone at the same time, joined by Rob Cassidy from uh, lovely Miami, leaf blowers, ambulances and all, and uh, of course Nick Kruger joining us from Texas. Uh, with the resurgence of the Longhorns, we decided let's bring in Nick um, and do this three-man pod style. We're going to see how it works out. We're all in different places though, so uh, forgive us uh, for stepping on each other's toes a little bit if we uh, talk over one another. Um, as usual, you can find us on uh, Twitter. I'm Rivals Woody. Rob is at Cassidy Rob, and uh, no, no, that's Nick Cassidy underscore Rob. If you're going to give the people my Twitter handle, <laughs> let's Jesus, give them sorry. let's give them the correct Twitter handle, please. God, can we please get you a, a real Twitter handle without an underscore? Well, I've tried, uh, but the the boner that has my Twitter handle hasn't tweeted since 2012, and he's tweeted three times looking for his long lost sister. Okay, and then the unverified uh, member of the crew, Rivals Krug City, uh, Nick Kruger. <laughs> uh, but big, big remember as we shift into the college football season, we might have some new listeners. Please give us a review on iTunes. Helps bump us up the old charts. That's, uh, that's how it works. So let's get into it, boys. Uh, I guess we'll start with uh, Talking Texas right out of the gate. The biggest win of the weekend, perhaps. Texas beats Notre Dame. I mean, if I, just watching the game on TV, huge crowd. I mean, seems like Texas is back. Nick, they got to commit right out of the gate, too, after the game, a three-star defensive end to Quan Graham. What's been the feel in Texas uh, since that game uh, wrapped up and, and they got that big win over Notre Dame? Well, people love uh, – I, I was I, – I didn't – I still haven't actually watched the game myself yet. I have a DVR'd. I haven't watched it. But but we we were out and about. We had some friends in town. We were out and about in the streets. Uh, and the people like the Texas fans were, were expecting to win from the, from the jump. And that's exactly what they did. And congratulations to them. I mean, I, I only recorded the normal standard time. I was like, oh, this game will be decided one way or the other. Of course, it goes into a, a spectacular overtime finish, which I did catch the end of. Um, so that, so that was good. As far as Taquan Graham goes, you know, he's a guy that, uh, maybe a lot of people think that we have ranked a little bit lower than, uh, he should be, but, um, you know, he came to our camp and o- over the spring and was just, you know, stonewalled by Walker Little. Just everything that he tried to do just could was not working for him, and and that was that was my first impression of him. And you know, so he's, uh, you know, he's a guy that a lot of people are excited about to have in the fold. He's a big-bodied guy, six four, two forty. Um, definitely the the defensive end mold that you like to have at that position, and a guy that could be a good bookend with Legarion Carson, who's also a defensive end that they have committed in the class. So. Uh, I think either way you, you slice it, he's a good get for him. I don't want to be well, – actually, I do want to be, and I guess I will be that guy. But is it – and I know that college football fans are never overreact to anything. But is it possible that the college football universe is maybe getting a little ahead of itself here with Texas's back? And, I mean, it was still one game. It was an impressive game. But at the end of the day, they haven't – I mean, they won a game. <laughs> well, you know, a good game, but, I mean, they won a game. Yeah, but you, but but it's not like you know. I mean, they didn't play a cupcake week one. They played Notre Dame, which by all accounts is you know, e- even though Notre Dame is uh, you know, say what you want to about them being in the national championship picture year in and year out. But but if you're gonna say, hey, we beat Notre Dame week one, or hey, we beat Prairie View A and M week one, which one would you rather have, Notre Dame, ten times out of ten? No, I'm not saying it wasn't an impressive win. It definitely was, and it's a very impressive win. But it's still an impressive one win. Yeah, t- yeah I got news for you. Texas is back, baby. We're celebrating. This is a celebration. 
celebration, Rob. Don't rain, don't right. rain on our parade. Uh, the, I think the biggest reason people are, are talking about it is because of the way they won and, and who they beat. I mean, last year, Notre Dame uh, it basically destroyed them in that game. Uh, they struggled, so now we see the freshman quarterback come in and play well, and, and uh, you know they did a nice job of platooning the quarterbacks. Our boy John Burt, who was on uh, mine and Nick's team at the at the 2014 Five Star Challenge, uh, hauling in deep touchdown passes, dropped a few as well, which uh, Nick and I are also familiar with. But he <laughs> he made some big catches when it mattered the most. I wanted to ask you, Rob, did they a couple of years ago they made that big push into Florida where they they grabbed Bird and they grabbed a couple other guys. I don't know if they ever. I mean, Devin Air Clarington. I don't know if he ever ended up uh, making it into school there. Are they still trying to recruit down there? I know Charlie Strong has has always had success in Florida, dating back to his time with the Gators. But are they still trying to get kids? Yeah, I mean, they, it's not as aggressive as it once was, and you know they haven't pulled out completely. Um, the most notable guy that they're involved with right now is probably uh, AJ Davis out of Lakeland, uh, the running back who can't seem to make up his mind about anything. <laughs> so you know he lists Texas as a leader one day and then forgets to mention him the next day. You know how that is with with recruiting. Uh, but that's you know the main guy that they're after right now. And you know they're you know they're supplementary. I mean, it, and you have to be if you're Texas, right? Because you can't get too far into Florida because you don't want to risk angering the Texas high school coaches who believe that good football is not played outside of the borders of Texas. So you have to peripherally, you know, spot recruit Florida, which, you know, is what they have to do. And it's great when they're the top program in Texas and they're getting their pick of the litter of the Texas players, which, you know, we seem to think they're going to get back to. Um, but when they're not, and A&M's out recruiting them and Baylor's out recruiting them, it becomes a little bit more difficult to uh, just spot recruit in Florida. So I think you'll see them kind of maybe stay at this level where they're just offering, you know, five, six guys and really honing in on those guys in Florida and trying to make their living in Texas, which is what they should do, really. Well, once UCF's in the Big 12, uh, I'm sure they'll help them uh, recruit more in the Sunshine State. We we talked a little bit about the QB rot- rotation. We saw it several games this weekend, and I kind of wanted to get you guys' opinion uh, as well as give my own about why it's happening. I mean, Notre Dame was, was swapping in quarterbacks, even though it looked pretty clear that Deshaun Kaiser was the better of the two in that game. Uh, we saw Auburn with a disastrous plan of rotating three guys, which, I, I mean, it was puzzling. Sean, Sean White played one of the first 17 snaps, even though he was named the starter. Uh, so all kinds of crazy stuff happened like that. And we're, I'm kind of wondering, we've seen a lot of players, if they don't get a chance to start, leave i mean we we see qb transfers like crazy now do you guys think and i guess we'll start uh with rob do you do you think that coaches are doing this because they don't know who they want to play or do you think they're doing it to kind of appease guys and and keep them in the fold because once the season starts it's it's tougher for guys to transfer uh because they'll still have to to sit out a year and everything it's probably one of those you know all rectangles are squares but all squares are not rectangle situations where some of this is yes. Uh, I don't think every situation is because of fear of transfer, but some it, some are. Uh, and I think you'll see that when a, when a starter is playing so well and then you just replace him for the sake of replacing him, which happened a number of times this weekend, I think that's your uh, guarding against transfer situations. But if you've got quarterbacks that do have two different skill sets and bring two different things to the table, I can understand doing it. So it's probably unfair to bump all these situations in together. Uh, but definitely some of that is going on. Uh, you know, I don't think the situation at A&M probably this year probably fed into that when, you know, all these players, Kyle Allen and, and everybody else just kind of pieced out. 
Uh, that definitely fed into it. That was very highly publicized. And, you know, I think that coaches are guarding against that, uh, rightly or wrongly. It's something that's happening. Yeah, I thought it was interesting. To, it seemed like Texas was the most effective in rotating those two because they do have those different skill sets, like you said. But, I mean, if you look at, like I said, you look at Auburn, and I think Malzahn came out after the game and said there was nothing wrong with it, and then the next day or two days later said it was a mistake. So I think uh, J- or Jeremy Johnson, who's one of the Knicks' all-time favorite quarterbacks uh, in high school, <laughs> gets demoted down to, to third string now, and it's kind of like – it's just a tough situation. I think you kids are going to leave now. I mean, how many kids do we interview where they're like, oh, I'm going to come in and play? And you're like, you're looking at the depth chart and thinking this kid's crazy. I mean, so they all have these expectations to come in and, and play right away, and especially quarterbacks. I mean, where there's also oftentimes that position lends itself to have uh, uh, some influential figures in their lives who maybe aren't uh, – you know, as rational as they should be as adults. And I think that kind of feeds into things as well. And that's how you end yeah, up with guys. That's, going that's to, not specific to quarterbacks by any, <laughs> by any stretch of the imagination here. Yeah. Well, I, I, I think quarterbacks, I think quarterbacks have it the worst in terms of people who are, you know, a little bit delusional or maybe living through the, uh, living through the lives of their, 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 uh, kids or their, I don't know students, protege, proteges, training clients. When you name your, when you name your kid Gunner, <laughs> I mean that's that 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 basically means you've decided like before the child came out of the womb that he's going to be a quarterback. You know, so that's actually this is a side quick sidebar before we move. It's, on it's to weird the because topic. there's a there's a kid down here uh, that's a sophomore in high school named Slant Route, which you know I don't know. Uh, again, <laughs> Is he a, he's a defensive lineman. <laughs> it's a disappoint, disappointment to his family. I actually watched film of a guy yesterday who was an offensive lineman named Gunner, and I thought, you know, well, how yeah, sad yeah, it might yeah. be for his family. Well, what happened was they had a quarterback. They had a predetermined quarterback out of the womb, and somewhere along the way he got fat, and, you know, that was the end of that. Sure. <laughs> All right, so yeah, moving on to another game that kind of uh, that caught our eye. Kentucky, boy, they had a big lead against Southern Miss. And they just kind of frittered away. It was really a tough one for them. I think they were winning at one point. I think it was like thirty-five to three or thirty-five to seven, and they end up losing the game at home. And now the the question is, you know, and it's early to talk about coaches getting fired, but it seems like all the Kentucky fans are saying, could this be the end of the Stoops era? Because they really had pointed to this year as the year they wanted to win you know, six games and get to a bowl game. They got five-star Jedrick Wills just hanging out there, uh, kind of, <laughs> uh, you know, rumored to be leaning towards Alabama. He's waiting to see what Kentucky does, and they come out and lay an egg in their, in their home opener. So do you guys think it's too early, Nick, to uh, for, for us to start worrying about coaching changes, or is this the kind of game you think that recruits uh, could uh, maybe t- change their minds about? Well, if you're Kentucky, you're in an interesting spot here because you've got a program that's definitely gotten better over the past couple of seasons under Stoops and and more respectable within a tough conference. You're looking at what they're doing out there on campus. Last time we were out there, it was renovations galore. The stadium, they're putting a lot of work into, as we famously saw with uh, with Mac putting on the hard hat and the, <laughs> you know, the picking up the <laughs> shovel and getting involved with, but you know, so so they're kind of at a crossroads in terms of you know, are they going to take that next step and is Stoops the guy to do that? And I, I mean, that's a game too where they had a sizable lead. You take a look at some of the talent that they have. I mean, you know, listen, trust me, as a guy who's a 
you know, to, to apply it to myself and a Jacksonville Jaguars fan, for example, who always has like a, a decent top level of talent starter to starter sometimes. As soon as one guy goes down, the whole thing goes into disarray. You know, that's kind of where they're at. They just don't have they just don't have the level of talent top to bottom on that roster. They don't have the experience from player to player of how to how to hold the lead. Same thing with the coaching staff. You know, we saw it with the Florida State and, and Ole Miss game. Ole Miss comes out to a big lead. Did they make the adjustments to hold that lead and counteract, you know, the adjustments that Florida State made? You know, obviously Kentucky, uh, you know, top to bottom, staff to staff to players still has some work to do, some growing to do, and whether or not, you know, they have to make a decision if, if Stoops is going to be the guy, if he has that in his, you know, coaching DNA to, you know, take that next level with the rest of the program. Yeah, I just think you you really have to think about it. Do we, I mean, Kentucky was struggling with Joker Phillips before him. I mean, he's been there four years. He's got a decent amount of talent. And I think it's just a few positions. I mean, unfortunately for Kentucky fans, you know, when it comes to Matt Elam, the defensive tackle, who others had ranked as a five-star, we ranked as a three-star. I mean, he's he, honestly, he's kind of been the weak link for them, and especially in that game. <laughs> I, love how you, I love how you got that in yeah. there. Well, I'm sorry. I mean, listen, I hate to tell you, <laughs> Kentucky fans, but, you know, they, they know I'm right now, and, uh, and, you know, they'll be listening to this podcast, and it's just – it's not like I'm celebrating them losing. It's just tough to see because they had a guy, Kobe Smith, who was committed – up until very late last year, actually, I think Belief had signed the financial aid papers with Kentucky to be an early enrollee, and then he ended up going to South Carolina at the last minute. And it's just that's a guy that killed them because I think they were counting on him to come in and, and take some snaps away from Elam. And it's just it's it's a tough situation for them. I think it's not completely out of the question because they still have three non-conference games. But now you're looking at okay, we've got to win three SEC games to get to that bowl game. And I, I think it's going to be tough. And I think, honestly, you're going to see coaches, especially at some of the programs they're recruiting against, uh, take it to them with some some negative recruiting. But, you know, could they get a couple wins? They can, maybe they get back on track. I see Kentucky as, you know, there are some parallels to be drawn here between Kentucky and Tennessee, right? You know, I kind of see them as Tennessee light in a less dire circumstance. And I guess what I'm talking about here, they're both programs in the SEC where this year is kind of seen as, all right, you've got some talent, now let's prove it. Uh, And if you don't, the perception of the direction of your program changes dramatically, right? Like Tennessee has a certain level that they have to perform to or else Butch Jones is going to be looked at a little bit differently than he is today. Uh, And I think the same goes for Stoops. I don't think either is in danger of getting fired unless they totally just completely forget to win games. Uh, but I think that this definitely dictates the trajectory of each program this season. I think there are some serious parallels between those two teams this year where it feels like for both of them, this season is going to dictate public perception. And you and I and Nick all know that public perception dictates recruiting. Uh, and if you're seen as a team that's not a team on their eyes, uh, the recruiting ball can dry up quite quickly. Yeah. Well, their schedule, I'm looking at their schedule right now, and it's not, I mean, they've got they've got to travel to Florida this week. Then they have a winnable game at New Mexico State, but you're probably talking one and two at that point. Uh, host South Carolina, travel to Alabama. You know they might not they might not get their third win until October eighth against uh, against Vanderbilt. They have they have Vanderbilt and Mississippi State on October eighth and October twenty second. So they have a week you know a week or two in between those two games to to prepare. That might be the most winnable part of their schedule. And then they come out with a game against Missouri too. So if they could salvage that sort of middle part of their schedule, pick up three conference wins. You know, I mean, they, they, there's, it's a long season. You know, they, they, they'll, hopefully they'll learn from the week one debacle, right? Yeah, uh, positive as our, as our, you know, friend of the show, Drew Barker. Uh, we always seem to get along well with the Kentucky quarterbacks. Uh, 
dating back uh, to him. He he had a really good game in the first half, kind of struggled in the second half, but he, he does look like uh, he could be a, a big-time positive for them, and they got a lot of playmakers at wide receiver as well. So one team uh, that, that, that surprised a lot of people, uh, Houston, uh, beats Oklahoma in a game that uh, – kind of really kicked off the weekend, uh, you know, in earnest. A lot of people were talking about that game. A lot of people were watching it. Now, we know Oklahoma, uh, including, uh, you know, our boy Josh McQuiston, uh, they do a great job in the city of Houston, uh, you know, recruiting there. My question for you, Nick, is now what what does this show the recruits in the Houston area where maybe these two schools are going to be battling over in the future, especially if Houston joins the Big 12, that – you know, they're kind of on the same level or Houston maybe has even a leg up on them right now. Well, that's I mean, that's still a, a TBD sort of, thing. you know, the best and worst thing for Houston right now is their own success. Right. Because then what happens to Coach Herman? Obviously, they're 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 pumping a ton of money into the facilities out there. You know, they're doing a really good job of staying aggressive with the recruits and staying in and. uh communication with them i know when oklahoma came down for their game they spent a lot of time uh you know ahead ahead of that game reaching out to the recruits that they were interested in in the houston area uh and getting as much you know getting as much time with them as they could ahead of their game so uh stoops is still you know bob stoops in this case is still a guy that is uh you know a very important uh, figure in terms of the recruiting landscape here and and kids definitely appreciate you know his his tenure and his legacy that he's built at, at Oklahoma. And that's not to say that Oklahoma Oklahoma pumped a ton of money into their facilities as well. So when they get kids up there for, for visits, I mean, they definitely have a lot to show uh, with the new stadium upgrades that uh, upgrades that they did. But, you know, I don't think, I don't think the kids, uh, the recruits were looking at this game individually as a barometer of like, you know, which school they would prefer one over the other. It can only help Houston, obviously, to the point where, they need to make sure that Herman stays because if he if he takes off and gets too successful and that's and this is not a new storyline but if he takes off and goes you know where does that leave the state of the program who takes it over and where does it go from there yeah i think with the kind of money he's making it, I, i'm not so sure he's going to leave especially we have uh you know one of rob's favorite quarterbacks Kyle Allen waiting in the wings to come and play next year I don't think there's going to be a drop off for them. And if, if you can be there, you can make the type of money you'd make somewhere else and you can win, win games. I mean, I would be surprised if he stayed. I mean, I know that the Texas governor came out and, and uh, mentioned some talk about getting Houston into the big 12 and then gave his support there. So, you know, I think they can do it. I think if they get in that conference, uh, now if I'm Texas and other schools, I don't want them in the conference. You know, I don't want to have to recruit against uh, them on an even playing field. I mean, it, well, I think, I think honestly, I think Texas A&M is the team that suffers the most from having Houston in the Big Twelve more so than Texas or Oklahoma because you know College Station is you know a short drive away from the Houston area, and Texas A&M, as we've seen in their recruiting class this year. They're they're getting. I think they're getting good players. They're filling their class up with good players, but they're not always going for the home run type player uh, that the Texases and the Oklahomas are. And that's also sort of the same, you know, space that Houston is going to be living in recruiting wise too, regardless of you know the success that we're seeing them have this season. Well, you know, they did get five star Ed Oliver, as we were reminded about nine hundred times during the broadcast. <laughs> I mean, geez, the Tom Herman love fest, and then maybe Rob, you could chime. But now, I'm sure this might make the Houston fans mad. Do, what do you think it is about Tom Herman that makes you know the Bruce? I mean, Bruce Feldman. 
I mean, he's he's practically Tom Herman's agent. And then we have other, you know, during the broadcast, it seemed like it was just the Tom Herman love fest. I mean, I have no... I mean, you you know what it is. We all know what it is. I mean, I've worked on beats. I've worked in the media for a long time now. You know, it's kind of harrowing to me to think that I'm a media veteran at this point. But it, it's <laughs> a rule as old as time. Being nice to the media will get you everywhere in in college football. I, I maintain that Charlie Weiss would have gotten more time at Kansas had he been nice to the media. I maintain that Ron Prince would have gotten more time at Kansas State had he been nice to the media. It's why you see people fawn all over Mike Riley. He's a very good coach, but is he as good of a coach as the media decides he is? When he struggled at Oregon State, when he got hired at Nebraska, we, act, we being the collective media, acted like they had hired Bear Bryant. <laughs> I mean, it's if you because he's great to us, you know, he's great to the media, and that's what Herman does. You know, if you can win games and you can be nice to the media while winning games, we will make you out to be the greatest football coach of all time, and we will overlook a lot of things. Not that there's anything to overlook with Herman because he's been great so far, but in the case of Riley, we will overlook a lot of things. Uh, if you're just nice and you know, do I have feelings on that? Yeah, but it's something that definitely happens. I mean, you can attest to that, right, Woody? Yeah, no, I agree. I I, I always wonder too if it's a little bit of a lot of these people think he's going to get a bigger job or another job and maybe they want to be in with him now. I mean, if he's so nice to the media, Nick, what, what do we got to do to get him on the podcast? Well, uh, what people don't know right now is I'm actually doing this podcast with a grill in my mouth that has a uh, go UH <laughs> on the top and bottom and <laughs> red and white letters. So uh, me and him, me and him are grill buddies. We're going to be hanging out with Paul Wall later. I'll make sure that we secure an interview for a later broadcast. Yeah, the grill talk was also insufferable. I mean, I, I like Houston. They're exciting. The, the way they play is fun. Uh, but geez, I, I don't know if I can take off. Oh, no, he's definitely a good coach, but him being nice to us is definitely factored in to, to this club. It's going to be a long season hearing about that grill and Paul Wall and uh, etc. So anyway, let's let's move on. Uh, you know, a topic that uh, that I wanted to talk about. Jacob Phillips, a uh, Rivals 100 linebacker from Nashville, went out to Oregon for an official visit this past weekend. And he came back, of course, raving about it, as all, all the, the recruits do that actually get out there for an official visit. But I wanted to talk to you, too, because, you know, Oregon has really, uh, you know, built a lot of their stars, taken from the state of Texas. They've also uh, picked some guys out of Florida, probably their best offensive player or one of their best players on the team, Charles Nelson's from up in Daytona Beach. And, uh, I, you know, it's kind of an overarching topic with them. It's it's hard for them to get guys out of the southeast. They have to target certain players. But, you know, Phillips seems to be listening quite a bit. And now, you know, you look at, at guys from Texas they're targeting as well. I know they, they missed on some guys, but uh, I know they're on Hezekiah Jones, I believe, as well, uh, the big receiver from Texas. What do you think it is? Is it, is it just the distance that keeps them from, from getting some of these top guys? I mean, well, I guess we'll start with Rob because – I mean, I don't know how many times we've interviewed kids, Rob, over the past two or three years uh, in the Southeast where it's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to take an official visit to Oregon. And, of course, they never end up going. So so what do you think it is that's keeping them or holding them back from having the, the success maybe that Stanford or some other schools do recruiting nationally? Yeah, everybody wants to go to Oregon until it's time to go to Oregon, you know? Like, um, it, you know, for kids in Florida, it's comparable to go play your college football in London distance-wise as it is to go play in Eugene, you know? I mean, you can almost, the flights are similar. Um, it, it's tough, and, and you said it. I mean, kids all want to visit out there. They all want to go there until it's time to go there. And then, I mean, sure, they're they're making adult decisions for their own college future, but parents are involved here, and it's hard for 
Southeastern parents to go watch Pac-12 games. That's tough. Uh, I think that they're more understanding when it comes to Stanford because of what goes along with Stanford. You know, sure, you're not going to go watch your kid's game at Stanford, but you know they're going to get a degree that's going to uh, <laughs> pull some serious weight when they come out of there. So you can make that sacrifice. But when it's Oregon, I think convincing the parents a lot of times and is as important as convincing the kid that you know this is a good decision for your future to go so far away from home uh, and, and play football out there when you know there are so many other comparable options in the Southeast, uh, you know, there's no Southeastern Stanford that you can go play football at. Uh, I think that's why you see it as Stanford is easier, has an easier time plucking kids out of Florida than Oregon does. Yeah. They, they, they have done a decent job in Atlanta over the past year, a few years, they usually grab a kid or two a year, um, out of the Atlanta area. Not, not really, you know, Taj Griffin was probably the highest ranked guy that they've ever gotten out of this state. I mean, he was, he's an, he's an electric player, but he fits perfectly there. I mean, it was kind of a match made in heaven. Uh, so he's up there and they got a, a couple of three stars over the past few years as well. Nick, they've, they've really done well in Texas. I mean, some of the guys end up going back, but uh, Texas has been, you know, a, a haven for them. Well, Michael James is from Texas, Darren Thomas, the quarterback they had that, that led them to the national championship game. What's the buzz with them in Texas, especially now with Baylor, maybe taking a step back and, and them recruiting some of the same types of players? <laughs> well, I, I don't know if this is going to be a uh, great podcast fodder for the topic that we're trying to have. Honestly, and, and as far as 2017 goes, I mean, the offer list in Texas isn't quite as fruitful as it, as it has been in years past for them. And honestly, I don't really hear kids talking a lot of uh, Oregon when I when I talk to them about you know other schools in the mix. And I think a lot of that has to do with uh, Texas uh the University of Texas, you know, started starting to come around and having a buzz around that and uh, them kind of slow playing recruitment with kids. Uh, the thing with Oregon, too, and, and like what you were saying before is uh, it's harder for kids. To, it's harder for them to pull kids out of other regions and they have to wait for, in some cases, for official visits late in the season. And, uh, you know, and, and when that's the same strategy that some of the schools locally are taking with with kids here in Texas, uh, that's going to be tough for them to win that battle. You know, I think the the one kid that you mentioned uh, Hezekiah Jones, who's now committed to Texas A&M, he was a realistic option because his mother lives out there. Uh, but his father also lives in Houston, and he's committed to Texas A&M. Uh, I'm very good friends with our with our friend Kellen Mond, uh, so I don't expect that commitment to really change. I mean, the other kids that they've offered in Texas really are the guys that everybody's offered. You know, your Anthony Hineses, your uh, Baron Brownings, you know, those types of players. So, uh, and, and I, my feeling with with those guys is, you know, it's it's. Oregon's maybe not in the mix for them this year. They really are in a situation after last season. I, you know, you're bigger, uh, you're closer on on Oregon than I am. But you know, I don't. I, I think they need to start getting themselves back together in terms of national relevance for them to start uh, really making serious plays for some of these guys. You know, outside of their areas. Yeah, I think I think uh, you know we've seen them, and Rob Rob can attest to this as well. We've we've talked to several top 100 kids who will say, man, I'd love to hear from them or I'd love to have an offer. They, they tend to offer a very limited number of players, especially compared to the schools like Miami or Alabama or, you know, some of these other programs that hand out three or four or 500 offers. Uh, Louisville, who has, who has actually offered you and Nick and I. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, Louisville. <laughs> yeah, Louisville will offer everybody. Uh, and I, I kind of wonder why Oregon doesn't do that. And I think they say, you know, well, 
well, I actually had a conversation with, the, with an assistant coach a while ago where he was like, well, if we offer these kids, don't we have to take them? And I was like, well, I mean, that's up, <laughs> that's up, to, that's up to you, coach. Uh, so I think, Depends who you ask. I think there's some, uh, I don't know if it's, uh, you know, inexperience or what it is. I just think that, that a lot of the coaches have been there for a long time and maybe they're not up to speed on how recruiting goes in some of these other regions in the country. So yeah. Also, I was going to say, it's definitely a cultural, like a football cultural thing, right? Like I've covered the West coast. There's decommitments out there and there are uncommittable offers out there, but it is not the same ballpark world or universe as what goes on down here in the Southeast. Um, they don't offer as early. They don't offer as often and they don't pull offers as often. Does it all happen? Yes, it all happens, but it's not like, I mean, that happens. All of that happens 20 times the cycle of that in a day here. Uh, it happens probably 20 times for the entire cycle <laughs> on the West Coast. It, it is. It's just like a different world. I don't know who started it or why it's different, but it, recruiting the Southeast is is a different beast. Yeah, and there, there was some talk. I mean, it, when I was talking, speaking with that coach as well, he was like, we had – 4D commitments last cycle. And I was like, yeah, guess what? Alabama had 10, you know, <laughs> like, Miami had that. Miami had four last week, right? In the last hour. Exactly. I mean, <laughs> you know, so there was, <laughs> it's definitely one of those things where, where, uh, you know, I don't know if they're just, they're just not used to it maybe or whatever. Like it's just a different world. Like you said, I mean, so I think, I think it's going to be tough for them unless they kind of maybe switch up their approach a little bit. Otherwise, it's going to be picking and choosing or getting some three-star guys that maybe they see developing, kind of like Charles Nelson did. I mean, you know, we I remember watching his film. He had a lot of injury problems. He goes out to Oregon. He plays both ways. I mean, he's a, he's a really good player, so he and he slipped through the cracks of uh, – of us and a lot of other people with his ranking and with his scholarship offers. So um, that wraps up our, our, our first five topics. Now uh, we're going to go to a, an interview. Rob, you had a chance to talk with uh, Ken Mastroli, the QB guru, the man, the the myth, the legend about some of these quarterback issues or quarterback topics we saw in week one. So let's go ahead and uh, listen to that conversation now. All right. Joined now by Ken Mastroli, played quarterback at Maryland, at Rhode Island, and NFL Europe and the Arena League, and I'm sure five other places that I'm forgetting about. Uh, now runs Mastroli Passing Academy in South Florida, but is training quarterbacks kind of on a more broader regional and national scale as well as the quarterbacks in South Florida. How are you doing, Ken? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on. Good, man. Good. We wanted to have you on. We talked a little bit already in the show earlier about Woody and I were talking, Nick, we're talking about quarterbacks and kind of how much more polished they seem to be coming in now. You see a lot of these freshman quarterbacks, DeAndre Francois at at Florida State and also what happened with Texas' freshman quarterback this weekend seem to be a little bit more polished and ready. Is that because they're getting more training from programs like yours and, and other ones around the country, or what do you think is kind of playing into that? Yeah, there's a, there's definitely an assortment of, of variables there. So first thing is it starts with, I think, the high school, where they're at. So what kind of system are they running? You know, A lot of these kids that I'm hearing today, not just necessarily at the quarterback position, but for college coaches and when I'm talking to college coaches in terms of recruiting and what they're looking for in quarterbacks, they're looking at programs that if they've got a guy in them, I've, they've identified a quarterback or a skilled position player. What kind of program are they coming from? So a lot is on the coaches and what kind of program that they have structured. Are they used to going into meetings? Or are they used to, just having kind of a, a regiment where they're on time, they've got to take notes, they have to do their own kind of self-scouting. So it kind of prepares them for that next level. So when they walk onto campus, 
they don't come necessarily from a high school that they don't educate them on the X's and O's, how to prepare, how to go to meetings, what the structure's like, you know, because that's kind of a culture shock for a lot of kids going to these big-time level programs. Um, the other thing is definitely the, the specialized training. The coaches like myself, they get more into kind of the mechanics, kind of talk about the football game. So, you know, these guys only, these coaches only get so much time during the week to spend on individual preparation, which really is not a lot of in terms of mechanics, fundamentals, and how to be a quarterback. So you take guys like myself that have played the position, that have been through it, understand the mistakes and the pitfalls that, that we had kind of growing up and, and going through the process. And we're just putting together packages and plans that help to accelerate this. And let's say what you learn in five years, you're now getting it in, uh, in less than a year. So that, and I think the other thing is just, these quarterbacks have so much at their disposal now in terms of everything from, you know, going on TV, playing in front of national audiences to all-star games, to camps around the country. So college coaches now are expecting these guys to kind of be ready to plug and play right away when they step on campus. Have you seen a difference in the guys that you've trained in, in the past, you know, five or so years uh, and just how ready they are by the time they leave? high school and going or is this something that kind of took you off guard as well no i think i think you do i think a lot has to do with just kind of the coming of the age whether it be now through social media through you know even youtube being able to get on there and watch and and see different things to be able to travel to be able to have exposure camps uh things that have just been great platforms for these quarterbacks to go compete at everywhere from rivals camps to uh, to, to what I do in terms of like competition camps and putting kids in, in front of you know cameras and, and putting cameras in their face at 14 through 16 years old and then having them compete against other kids around the state as well as just kind of learning in the classroom environment. You know, this past year we had a, a great classroom session kind of the summer, summer where I brought in Brady Quinn to do an X's and O's evaluation. So we did two things. One, we had him teach uh, an NFL type of play and have the kids really think outside the box, not just give them a play and say, Hey, just write this down and, and not know, but got them to interact, got them to get on the board, to speak in front of a classroom, to kind of think outside the box and understanding why the play is being called and how to diagnose it. Then what we did was we had the quarterbacks come in and we did somewhat of a session where they sat down in front of a camera and they had to re they had to explain the play the next day. This is the same stuff that NFL guys are getting ready for when they go to the NFL combine, when they get in front of teams or personnel. Now, some of these guys are shocked to get this kind of information because they come from some simple offenses. And, um, you know, I, I think the other thing I've got to add to the point to is you take schools like Texas. I think they've simplified their offense for a freshman. They've made it more of now you've got teams going to more of a progression-based read where they're going one to two to three for receivers and not so much on a read base where you're getting out there, you've got to identify the defense, you got to understand what's going on in terms of coverage. There's a lot to think about out there. The play calls are simplified and the quarterbacks are having less to think about. The protections are already set. They don't put a lot on the quarterback in terms of what they need to know in protection-wise, and it's making those quarterbacks just play to their natural abilities and just play fast. So with Texas, is that something you think that that offense will evolve as that quarterback evolves and they'll kind of grow together, or is that is it just going to be as long as he's in there that's going to be this version of the offense? Well, I don't – you know, 
I'm not in obviously in their meeting rooms, but I have had conversations with guys that have played for that coaching staff or for that offensive coordinator. And not to take anything away from it and say, hey, it's such a simple watered down offense, because you got to give a lot of credit on that stage and in that and that that level for that freshman quarterback to play that well is is definitely, you know, a tribute to to the coaching staff and how they prepare them as well as that quarterback in terms of how he's matured and kind of grown being since being on campus in such a short time. But I do believe that that, that offense is, in a lot of college offenses, they're trying to simplify it more. I mean, you get to the NFL level and it's so complex. There's so many parts and pieces because it's all matchup related. And the way that defensive coordinators are just trying to find that one weak link in your chain, they're going to expose it and they're going to continue to expose it week in and week out because the matchups and the, and the margin of error is so small. At the college level, you do have margin error, but it's a little bit greater. There's guys that, you know, you have the capabilities where defensive coordinators don't spend, you know, long days with their players. They've got school, they've got other things, so they have a short period of time. They can only give them so much information to digest that at the college level, you can simplify it a little bit more. You can dummy it down for those players because of the limited amount of time. And you're not going to get all these exotic blitzes and looks. You're going to be able to put less emphasis and be able to play fast and get the ball out. And that's why the spread's been so successful at the collegiate level. But obviously it does, I believe, hurt the quarterback in terms of his learning for if he has the potential to play at the next level. Now you worked with just last year alone. You trained six guys for the draft that ended up getting drafted. Uh, I undersold you off the air and thought it was half of that, but shows what I know. <laughs> um, which, one of, which, one of the, which one of those six impressed you the most before the draft that you were kind of struck by the most? Well, I think the guys that are, I was, I was really fortunate this year. I mean, across the board, there's actually five guys, but honestly, all five guys and not trying to pick a favorite, they, what made them all really successful was they all came from a system and a learning that was very intense, very much so where they had to think outside the box where a lot of NFL coordinators are putting more on their quarterbacks. Take, for example, here in Miami, Adam Gase, he put a lot on Jay Cutler, but he had his best year in Chicago because they have to, and what I mean by that is when the quarterback walks up to the line, they have to identify the middle linebacker. They have to identify how many guys are down. A lot of times they make the center make the calls. They set the protection, but the quarterbacks now are going to take on that role. And all five guys played in a pro style of system where Dowdy played in a little bit more of a fast paced tempo offense. But what Jeff Brom did was he took a lot of plays and a lot of his own ingredients and made almost like an NFL playbook, but scaled it down a little bit more to make it play fast, play up tempo. Um, but I'll tell you guys like Brandon Allen from Arkansas, Jake Rudolph from Michigan, uh, Jacoby Brissett from NC State, all three of those guys played in a very complex type of offense that was NFL ready from the start. I mean, playing for Tim Drevno and Jed Fish and Jim Harbaugh for Jake Rudock in Michigan, you got to remember, Jed Fish was in the NFL, what was it, two years ago? So I understood what he was going through, the protections that he had to learn, and he had to learn that almost like a freshman walking onto campus and had to learn that three to four months. Now, obviously, you've worked with guys that are that are in the NFL now. Are there guys that you've trained recently or are training now that are headed to college or still in college right now that maybe haven't made the giant splash that people need to uh, be aware of? Yeah, there are a few guys. I mean, throughout the state of Florida, there's a lot of guys that I get a chance to see throughout the country that um, 
you know, just kind of naming, if you, if you want to name names, uh, but even at the collegiate level, let's, let's say, I mean, there's a lot of guys that are doing a good job. Obviously, Sean Wade at Auburn, um, you know, the first game where they've kind of switched around quarterbacks a little bit, but I think Sean Wade, if they just get into that rhythm and find that mold of, you know, putting the ball out there in the air and getting it, you know, around what did you, what did you, not to, not to sidetrack you, what did you make of that? Because, I mean, you know Sean, and, and then Gus Malzahn comes out and says that it was a mistake, that they should have just stuck with Sean from the beginning. Were you watching that at home thinking, what are you doing? Or, I, mean, I, don't... Um, I did. You know, it, it does get a little frustrating as a fan and as someone that, you know, you're rooting for the player. But, um, you know, honestly, just for, like, the best interest of all the quarterbacks, I, I mean, it's, it's a tough position to be in. You know, it's easy for a fan or it's easy for a a quarterback coach to sit there and play Monday morning quarterback and second guess what they're doing uh, for for Coach Malzahn and his offense. But, you know, I try to just take more, honestly, the approach of just saying, hey, they know what they're doing. They're going to get things straightened out. Uh, They played a a tough opponent, obviously, who's, you know, slated to play in the national championships this year by a lot of analysts. But I thought they played them well. Offensively, I think they're just trying to find their groove, and and hopefully they do. So, um you know, I know Sean's a guy for the offense. I know he's going to do good things for them, just because I've seen him so much and not being biased at all. Just think they got to you know play to his strengths, and I think if they play to his strengths, he'll 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 help that offense generate a lot of points. Before I let you out of here, uh, you know, I know you've worked with Jake Allen. We can talk about him a little bit. Give the Florida fans that listen to this podcast something to hear about. What what do you kind of make of him, and what are his strengths? I mean, you've worked pretty closely with him over the years. Yeah, I think Jake's got a lot of good things going on for him. You know, the big thing, too, is he's played on a big stage. So St. Thomas Aquinas, obviously, they play on national TV. They, they play some tough opponents. They travel. And so all the little things are going are not going to be a shock to him. He walks out there and starts to compete in the swamp, and he's out there in front of 90,000 fans, or he's on first time on you know national TV, and he's got to prepare for that. But um, I think he does a lot of good things. I think, uh, you know, that's a good system. That, that offensive coordinator, Ryan Snyder, there has done a good job of preparing him. Um, so I think Jake Allen, you know, is, is a guy that's uh, is going to go in and compete at, at the next level. He's going to go in there at Florida. He's going to step in and he's going to kind of have a good base and a good setting for for what to expect. I think a lot of guys around the county, you know, like Cardinal Gibbons High School, use for example, Matt the Buck, who's the new head coach there, is the offensive coordinator. He runs the Washington State system. His quarterbacks coming out are, are totally prepared for the college system. So. But there's a lot of guys out there that uh, like Jake and like you know Coach DeBuck and Coach Snyder that are teaching these guys now and getting them prepared so when they step out there the first year they can step right in and compete right away based on what they know football knowledge wise. If you're looking for Ken on Twitter, you can find him at Mastroli Passing. Uh, you can reach out to him and find him there. And if you know if interested in training a quarterback you know there's no better there's no no better place than than ken's place so uh appreciate you coming on ken and i'm, I'm sure we'll uh, catch up again sounds good thanks rob appreciate you having me on oh boy what an interesting conversation that was rob ken always uh <laughs> he, he loves he loves <laughs> he loves to chop it up uh with you about quarterbacks doesn't he <laughs> yeah, that's his. Th- <laughs> uh, sorry it's very hard for me to i was texting ken actually as as i was talking about this <laughs> That's funny. Um, all right, so we're, a new segment we want to try, Tweet of the Week. You subtweet people all the time. You're nothing but an embarrassment. I'm a notorious Twitter savage and, uh, you know, gets me gets people talking about me all over the country, uh, gets me interesting messages left on my voicemail. Uh, and another guy who, who I love on Twitter, Jalen Ramsey, the former five-star uh, number 10 overall player, member of the Jacksonville Jaguars, Nick's uh, favorite team, as he mentioned earlier. During the Auburn uh, 
<laughs> during the Auburn Clemson game, uh, he had a chance to take a shot at John Franklin, who was at Florida State a couple years ago. Uh, never really made it up the depth chart. Went to JUCO, and then now he is at Auburn, where he's also uh, a backup quarterback. And uh, during the game, uh, <laughs> Ramsey tweeted, "John Franklin left Fl- Florida State as a third string and ended up at Auburn, still a third string. Maybe it's not the program, my dude." With uh, some choice emojis wow. there as well, <laughs> and it was really shots fired. I, I really laughed uh, really hard at that. I don't know why I enjoy it so much. Uh, you know, he kind of takes a shot at the, uh, the the transfer culture that we talked about earlier. And, you know, Jalen, he's a, he makes for a great quote. He's never one to, to pull any punches. So uh, I appreciated that shot. Didn't you guys? Rob? Oh, I was waiting for Nick to talk. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Well, listen, as, as, a, as a member, as a, as a, as a aforementioned member of my, my favorite Jacksonville Jaguars, I stand by any and everything Jalen Ramsey says. He is the new prince of Duval County. He is our he is our savior to lead us into the new era of Jacksonville Jaguars football. I'll ride or die with him. And uh, you know that guy had it coming to him, right? He's right. It's not the program. That guy stinks. <laughs> hey, guess what? G- guess what? Krigger, the Jaguars suck, and so does this tweet. <laughs> no, the, the, <laughs> hey, this, this, no, but hold on. It, it's really it's really easy to take a shot at you know air quotes, transfer culture when everything worked out for you, right? Like, had things gone differently for Jalen Ramsey, guess who probably would have transferred schools? Jalen Ramsey. No, all you have to to do is be good. All you have to do is be good, and that's what Jalen Ramsey is, start to finish. I remember the first time, you know, Woody and I were on here. He is very very good. I'm just saying, let's say he got stuck behind some other good player. Uh, Jalen Ramsey would have been out of there, bro. Yeah, well. well, he did. He, he was too good. He played from day one. He was a monster. Uh, and guess what? He was a guy that 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 emerged out of uh, the early years of the rivals camps. He was one of those guys that was viewed as a camp star and not very productive in games and blah blah blah. He had injury problems. He transferred. Had to sit out a whole season in high school. And look at him now, boy! First round draft pick and. Uh, and uh, taking shots at Franklin, who, by the way, which I, you know, I, I sort of agree with, with, with this stance. You know, we ranked Franklin as a two star out of high school going to Florida State, which you can imagine, Rob, the kind of heat uh, Keenan and I took on the Florida State board over that ranking. He, he, <laughs> he goes, he goes to Florida State, never catches a whiff of the field, transfers to JUCO, where then he then stars in the reality show Last Chance U. Uh, doesn't get a whole lot of playing time there, but gets enough that Auburn decides to take him and now goes in there where they were basically desperate to give him the job and can't beat out uh, former South Florida Express uh, quarterback Sean White. So I I think... No, I'm not saying... See, my stance isn't that he's good. We can put him on the list with the tweet and the Jaguars as well. Um, It's just that I think the tweet was a little bit, you know... it fails to kind of take into account how, how good Ramsey's situation was. Well, I enjoy, I enjoy as, as a professional uh, Twitter goon, I, I really, I enjoyed the stance. Uh, all that was missing was him mentioning uh, uh, Franklin in the tweet as well. So let's move on to, uh, you know, we've got to. Wait, 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 wait. You guys, we might have to rethink this segment because as good as that tweet was, uh, have you guys familiarized yourself with the whole Mia Khalifa and Chad Kelly uh twitter oh yeah yeah i saw that i I have well we're not allowed to talk about porn stars on this podcast i got (laughs) in trouble for saying we we gotta watch that (laughs) you can google that you can google that if you're interested although you know guess what 
you know, honestly, don't, you know. That's not the first time she's done that to somebody. She, well, she, she lo- does that, right? Didn't she do that to an NBA player? She tagged some NBA player? Yeah, but like NBA players give a care. Yeah, guess what? I don't think Chad Kelly cares too much either. And her whole like. Uh, he's deleted his Twitter account, right? That's oh, per, per the story I'm looking at. Okay, let's bring it. Uh, let me let me quickly. Now we got to recap it. So well, look, man, like we can't fault a guy for trying to have a relationship with a porn star, can we? Like, if we're gonna do that, I mean, boy, well, we're gonna vilify a lot, we're gonna vilify a lot of people. Well, true and truthfully, the screenshot that she posted of him, it wasn't like he says, "Add me on Snapchat, and I'll see you with." Uh, hopefully, I'll see you at the game. And then, yeah, yeah, and then she proceeds to take digs at him, you know. Well, and guess what? She's like, "Oh, spend more time in the play." Like, like shut up, you know what I mean? Get get at it. I'm on Team Chad Swag Kelly on this one. I, I uh, yeah, no, me, me too for sure. She, you know, she, she's an instigator, and, and and not, and she's not funny. That's the thing. That wasn't funny. So, I mean, I know it was funny for Florida State fans because they won the game, but you know, they did score 35 points. So it's not like, or, you know, or however many points they had, 32, 38. So anyway, he, he you know, uh, game of the week. Uh, we like to, during the fall, Rob and I last year did this a lot where we made some picks. Uh, the, this week's slate of games, boy, after all the talk of last week being the best weekend ever in the history of college football, uh, this weekend, I, I based on my limited research, no two ranked teams are playing one another this weekend. It is a brutal slate. Wait, of are, you, games. are you telling me Tom, Tom Herman isn't playing against the Chicago Bears? They didn't <laughs> let him do that? No, Tom Herman's playing against Paul Wall, All-Stars, and everyone gets a grill on both teams. Um, so the, the, the game I picked uh, was Kentucky uh, against Florida. I think it's been something like 20 years or or maybe longer when was the last time kentucky beat florida we hear the stat every year um right now the gators are 16 and a half point favorites if uh you're into that sort of thing I, personally i wasn't too impressed with florida they squeaked by umass in a really ugly game their offense doesn't look very good but do you guys think uh, kentucky has any shot in this one absolutely not <laughs> not confident at all nick you didn't sound too confident either when you were counting them as zero and two right well well i get yeah i i i didn't look ahead on our uh on our rundown before i started talking about that that's what that's on me coach but uh you know i mean you i'll yield to your guys's opinion on the sec as you guys know i'm all big 12 now baby and this is uh that's that's out hey of my wait reason. a minute that's you, you cover a and m's recruiting as well you're you're just as much of an sec honk as the rest of us oh yeah that's right uh yeah. well i'll pick i'll pick florida with florida didn't they start out real they kind of stumbled out of the box last year too didn't they and they ended up being okay um Maybe I'm remembering that wrong. But well, no, but listen, they're not the, you know, listen, you got to give, what, what do you give, what do you give any team a, a buffer period, right, to, before they really start hitting their stride? I mean, it takes, you know, sometimes it takes a couple of weeks. You know, Tennessee, obviously a national championship contender this year, didn't really overly well, impress. I, not only do I think they win, I th- not only do I, not only do I think the Gators are going to win, I think they're going to cover that spread. Nick, you got him covering as well? Yeah, uh, Yes. All right, I'll go ahead and go the other way. I'll take uh, me being Podstradamus, uh, as 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 our loyal listeners know. I'll go ahead and take Kentucky to cover. I don't know if they're going to win, but I think they'll keep it close. Uh, I think <laughs> you do so know if they're going to win, and the answer is no. I mean, but I mean that's <laughs> that's, that's fair. All right, we can pretend. We're going to trim that clip uh, in case they win. Uh, in which case, we can make fun of you next week. Uh, <laughs> 
let's move on to our favorite segment. We got a whole, we got a lot of new new things going on, but the the segment that everyone loves, rants and recommendations. Uh, Nick, you didn't put down any uh, on the sheet here, so the question is. <laughs> Do, do, do you have a rant or a recommendation for us to start off with? There, there have been some shifts on the sheet. Your recommendation is for me to put a recommendation down. This is That's what right. I'm hearing right now. Uh, uh, come, come back to me on come that Come back one. to I'm me. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> we'll start with Rob's uh, recommendation. We'll start on a positive note because i got a complaint uh, that I've, that's really been grinding my gears over the past week or so. Yeah, I'm a little bit late on this uh, and it just kind of popped back into my mind because I procured some free tickets to see his show uh, in October recently. And that is Chance the Rapper's third mixtape coloring book, which might be the best rap album I've heard since college dropout. Uh, It's, I mean, it really is something special. And if you haven't heard it, uh, I I suggest going out and hearing it. Chance the Rapper, if you're unfamiliar, is an independent rapper who is kind of anti-label and has not been signed to a label and will not be signed to a label and is really kind of garnering some semblance of fame now. Uh, he's, this is his third album. Uh, he's kind of been under the radar a little bit until the last year and a half or so. But, you know, he's really talented. He's a Kanye West protege from Chicago. And, and the record sounds like nothing I've ever heard before. You know, there's some gospel influence in it. It's it's really, 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 I think, a special hip-hop album. And anybody that's into that sort of thing should should take a listen if they haven't. Yeah, actually, here's the thing. Here's, here's the thing with Chance. And, he, and here's why I agree with you and, and why I like any rapper that falls in line with Chance's sort of, uh, you know, the kind of the direction that he's going. You know, he uses actual music in his songs, right? It's not just the same old, you know, listen, my brother, Alex Kruger, big shout, huge Rick Ross fan. But every every single song of his, you know, follows the basic formula, a big pounding beat that you just hear over and over and over again. And it's like you get through the you get through the words, whatever. It could be any rap song, you know, guys like Chance are coming in. Changing things up, getting some sounds, you know, incorporating yeah, guys of our steel drums in there. Yeah, it's it's good. Yeah, so it's just like uh, the albums Kendrick Lamar's been coming out with for the last five. years. No, it's a little <laughs> bit different. It's more on the it's more on the Kid Cudi side of things, and it, it, you, yeah, I don't know. You'd have to listen to to no, get I, it. I think I, I it's like not anything like that. I, I generally like uh, Chance the Rapper compared to a lot of the music we're forced to listen to. Uh, on a on a weekly basis as part of our job where we're listening to a lot of uh i don't even know who i don't even know i know every single song but maybe it's kodak it's kodak we hear a lot of kodak black on the camp circuit we hear a lot of uh yo Gotti on the camp circuit we hear a lot of uh young thug who i like on the camp circuit Uh, a lot of that is very bad they love kodak black and i got news for you he is about as washed as it gets i don't know what (laughs) I, I, some of the songs I can at least say, okay, I, I get why someone might potentially like this, even though I don't. Kodak Black, go back to jail as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> well, no, he is he is in jail, dude. <laughs> I thought he got out. He, he actually, I uh, know. I think he took your advice and went back to jail. I could be wrong. Yeah. Well, in, anyway, getting on, moving on to my rant this week. You know, as as Nick can tell you, uh, you know, as we used to go to games together every Friday night, boy, there's one thing I like, and that's to get popcorn from the concession stand. And lo and behold, back-to-back weeks, I go to South Gwinnett High School. They tell me they're out of popcorn, and they're like, oh, we're out of popcorn. And my question to them is, how much does popcorn cost? You're literally printing money. All you got to do is pop it up. You sell it for a dollar a bag, you know, when one bag of seeds you know, cost 30 cents. So, so they didn't have it. So I say, okay, you know, that's, Hey, they ran out. Then 
I go, you know, to uh, another area up in Cobb County, which, you know, a little more, little more affluent, I would say, to, to Harrison High School, where guess what happens? I go, hey, yeah, can I get a popcorn? Oh, well, we don't have any popcorn, but uh, we have a vendor over there selling kettle corn. <laughs> the kettle corn is not popcorn. It's gross. It's disgusting. And it's washed. Yeah, it's, it's terrible. Dessert popcorn. It's, it, it, it is the popcorn what sweet potato fries are to French fries. Right. And, and guess what? It had a nice little period a few years ago where people were getting it, you know, oh, let's get kettle corn. Kettle corn's in. They even started making microwave kettle corn. Guess what? That period is over. I don't need to spend. And plus, it was five dollars for a giant thing of it. I want a little bag of popcorn for a dollar. It's a high school football tradition. What's going on? Where where have we gone wrong? And now I'm I'm concerned. If they don't have it this week, I may stop going to games. That may be it. I may shut it down for the year. <laughs> I may quit my job. Hey, but you know what? What make you happy is that your boy over here in South Miami owns the same popcorn popper that the AMC theaters own. Uh, I have it, you know, in my loft. Uh, right here. I'm looking at it right now. It's beautiful. I use it often. I order the seeds from Amazon. They're very cheap. Uh, it's delicious. Yeah, yeah. And guess what? How much do those seeds cost for you from Amazon though? That's the question. Oh man, I get them in bulk. So I get a box of like 20 of them for $9.99. Right. And that's you buying. Imagine if you're, if you're feeding thousands of people, you get them even cheaper. Yeah, so. much, much cheaper. Right. So anyway, Nick, you got anything for us? And, and those, hold on. Those packages come with the seeds. Uh, a, a measured out part of salt and a measured out thing of butter too. So it's all, it's a one-stop shop. It's all in one package. So you just squeeze the whole package into the thing and it pops it. So you're not just getting the seeds, you're getting the whole shebang, man. Right. You get it all. I have a similar thing for my whirly pop, which I use on top of the stove. Uh, so I also have a, I also have an sync parody song, uh, set to dirty pop. Uh, every time I cook the popcorn that I sing to myself, <laughs> we'll, we'll save that for another day. <laughs> That'll be- if, if we can, can we, can we set a certain number of streams on this podcast that if we reach them for this episode that you will sing the, the parody next week? Yeah, maybe we could add, we added a lot of new segments. Maybe we could add Woody's parody song of the week. Although there's a lot of questionable lyrics in, uh, several of my, <laughs> my parodies as I think anyone can attest. Uh, Nick, you got anything before we get out of here? No, no, I think we should wrap her up. All right, so that'll do it this week. Uh, we want to thank, of course, uh, M. Deuce for providing us with the music. He was also instrumental in uh, some of the commitment videos we had recently. You can check him out on SoundCloud, uh, soundcloud.com slash M. Deuce. And I believe, guys, he actually has some uh, T-shirts and stuff available, which uh, I'm efforting strongly for us to get some, uh, some M. Deuce shirts uh, from him, uh, considering all the promotion uh, we've helped him do as part of this uh, podcast and our tens of listeners. No, I'd wear an MD shirt, man. <laughs> All right, that wraps it up. We'll be back next week. Uh, be sure to leave us a rating on iTunes. Uh, reach out to us. You can send us an email, rivalspodcast at yahoo.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>